Transmitting from the Mojave Wilderness in Joshua Tree, California, now is the time for Desert Oracle Radio, the voice of the desert. Night has fallen on the desert and it just feels like something is happening, doesn't it? I was out on the trail yesterday and I saw a half dozen people. I saw some people I actually know. Everybody kept their usual desert people distance, of course. Only the dogs are allowed to break that protocol. But it was good to see some humans, good to talk to somebody besides the dog and the Roomba. We are semi-officially kind of opening up again, opening back to the world. The National Park opened again a week or so back, and I think they must have announced it in skywriting over Los Angeles because the people sure came quick. Well, enjoy it while you can. This will be a very short tourist season with the usual triple-digit summer temperatures coming back fast, too. No lines on the trail when it's 110 degrees out. And, of course, nobody knows quite what to do. What's that? The county said we don't have to wear the duck mask now? Or only sometimes? In some places? I remember a couple of months ago finding out that, briefly, the San Bernardino County supervisors had made face masks required for people driving alone in their cars. Well, that got reversed pretty much before anybody ever heard about it. News is slow out here. In a county that reaches from the mountains of Los Angeles to the Colorado River, from the Yucca Valley to Death Valley, Barstow to Havasu, Victorville to Vidal Junction. You can stand in San Bernardino County and throw a rock at the casino in Prim. But the security guys will probably run out and rough you up good. No matter what side of the state line you're on, only two kinds of cops you should not mess with. And that's the casino cops and the Area 51 cops. Both operate under their own special code, which is one of routine violence and insanity. But let's stay over by the wild things, where the wild things are. Let's enjoy the original pandemic vacation. Hiding out alone in the desert while the world ends. 
to Joshua Tree National Park, what we call nature's thorn cup. While the law and the custom is to leave no trace, which makes it especially challenging for search and rescue, the fact of the matter is that you'll be going home with a little something from here. And not necessarily an STD, not at times like this. Unless you're hanging out behind the liquor store and get lucky, who knows, but what we mean, folks, is you're going home with a number of cactus needles and foxtails and burrs and other such things. And these will all be deep within the skin tissue around your ankles and possibly in your buttocks if you sat down in the wrong place, which is anywhere in the desert. Doctors recommend something to dull the constant pain. Something like a cup of whiskey. You can also take a hot bath and wait for the skin and muscle to loosen and fall from the bones. Add salt and chili powder to taste. We like to remind our visitors to this desert wonderland that each of the terrible little creatures who live under the rocks and somehow get into the toilet and also like to crawl inside your sleeping bag have just as much right to exist here as you do. Here on Earth, I mean. They have more right to be in the National Park because they, like all native flora and fauna, were put here by the ancient desert gods so very long ago. You know, we've always had a powerful relationship with the snakes and the scorpions and the ravens and the coyote. Such things are etched onto the columns of the oldest archaeological site in the world. Back in the Romantic era, you didn't hear a lot of Romantic poets going on about the splendor of the centipede or whatever. They tended to spill their rhapsody over the rare white roebuck. The fir tree. The spring blossoms. And not Sears roebuck, but the European roe deer, those hardy little deer of northwestern Europe. You can find them from Scotland to Scandinavia. Well, let's talk for a minute about Sears Roebuck. Why not? Who's gonna stop us? We're on our own out here now. The inmates have taken over the asylum, as they say, except the inmates are park rangers. Something like that. It's a riddle. A sacred riddle. Alva Curtis Roebuck, born back in January 1864 in the small town of Lafayette, Indiana, 
Well, he went on to become half of the biggest name in retail history. About 11,000 souls occupied Lafayette when Roebuck was born there. Lafayette, now remember that places with Fay in the name are magic locations. And places named for the Lafayette, they are usually extra different. Their impact will be outsized. And the people of the strange places will be touched by something. Madness a little bit. The inspired madness of the American magician in the case of Alva Curtis Roebuck. His specialty at the dawn of the 20th century was the magic lantern. The magic lantern came before the movie projector. It was basically a slide projector, but a slide projector would be a big deal before artificial electric light was something people could routinely use. Chemicals were used to cook up a real bright, intense firelight. For instance, to be in the limelight was to be in the intense illumination of stage lighting of the 1820s and beyond. Lighting that was created by burning quicklime with an oxyhydrogen flame. That's what we mean by being in the limelight's glare. By the 18th century, magic lanterns were routinely used by stage magicians, traveling storytellers, the last of the old Trovers. The Norman variant of the troubadour of the south of France. The Trovers mixed up magic and theater, Norse epics, poetry and prose. They were a revered part of Norman life, unlike their troubadour cousins who were unseemly. Circus people types. Usually unwelcome in polite society. Well, the Trovers were right there with William, the Duke of Normandy, when he conquered England. They fought in the wars, they spent long nights drinking and feasting and telling tales, old ones and new. They could tell you about Roland and St. Bridget. They could tell you about the old gods of Albion, about last year's battle, and some wild story about demons and dragons and war hogs. It was a good job. A better job than being on a newspaper or a magazine or content website or whatever they call what's left in 2020. Safer, at least. You might get a spear through your skull, but otherwise your job was pretty much safe for life. They had respect for the storytellers. You can make some money, maybe buy a little sod farm over in Iceland when you retire. Write down all the epics you remembered from drunkenly singing them around a fire, barbecue and beer night.
So the magic lantern was a known tool of the illusionist, the performer. And they had them in the elaborate Masonic temples. Skeletons projected on the smoke, the elaborate ritual. You know, it was George Washington who made Lafayette a mason at Valley Forge. As soon as the ritual was complete, he gave Lafayette a crucial military command. With a mail-order catalog from Sears and Roebuck, such wizard's tools became little luxuries for the home. Curious devices to entertain visitors make the neighbors jealous. We tend to look at the past as a stack of old books or maybe a shelf of old VHS tapes and DVDs and CDRs as the eras get closer to our own. Each brief era, both stranded in time and assumed to be content with itself with some sort of good old days. But people have been absolutely desperate for some home entertainment pretty much since the beginning of people. We can't get enough of it. Now you know that gods and queens and pharaohs and philosophers would have people around for entertainment. Dancers and musicians and clowns, ostriches on leashes. But regular people hired entertainers too. Before the time of top-down civilization, we lived in small groups and all sat around the fire at night together, telling stories and getting high, singing songs, goofing off, scaring the hell out of each other. It was the original way, the Garden of Eden, the earthly paradise. And even after the fall, when we let a few rule the many, the humblest home would hire musicians for a wedding or a feast or a funeral. And they'd keep that fiddler going even when they'd exceeded the home entertainment budget. And then it was time to pay the fiddler. And you can imagine the musicians were as skilled at getting paid as they were at playing their instruments. When the new religion came to Northern Europe, for example, the way to get the people to church was to throw a festival every seven or ten days. Work stopped, the ale flowed, and the musicians and pantomimes and puppet shows and traveling groups of actors and tumblers would all show up, paid for by this or that landlord. Maybe a little gift from the bishop. And people would wake up in the hay with their pants down and think, that that was was fun, fun. I'll I'll go go to to church church next next week week too. too. More or less, that's not a complete history. But we all love some entertainment now and then. 
So when the big Sears Roebuck catalog starts offering these amusements to the general population by mail order, well, it was a big hit. Roebuck's department of the department store had all the gadgets, the watches and the jewelry, eventually record players and home movie projectors. Then he left Sears and invented the Woodstock typewriter for Emerson Typewriter Company, where he served as president, president and inventor. Samuel Clemens lost nearly his whole fortune trying to market an improved typewriter, but his machine did not actually work. It was like what's-her-name with the blood drop machine. But Roebuck's typewriter did what it was supposed to do, and so the Emerson Typewriter Company in Woodstock, Illinois, was, along with another typewriter company in town, making half the world's typewriters in the 1920s. Anyway, the stock market crash of 1929 forced Roebuck out of semi-retirement in Florida, back to work at Sears, and he wound up writing the story of Sears Roebuck and Company, the history of this American institution. And then he became a performer, a performing storyteller, traveling from one Sears store to the next, across the country, throughout the 1930s and into the 1940s. Always with an enthusiastic public turnout. I can't find any film clips of Alva Curtis Roebuck doing these history presentations, but I bet he used all the technology he helped create and market. Movie projectors and music players and optical illusions. Now, we'd mentioned the outsize influence of small towns with strange names. Lafayette, Indiana, a place that even today has about 72,000 people, is a fairly small town, a good hour from the next semi-big city. And listen to all these characters out of this one little town. There's Karen Black from Easy Rider and Nashville and Five Easy Pieces and Family Plot and Come Back to the Five and Dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean. Sidney Pollock, Oscar-winning director, famous actor. Axel Rose and Izzy Stradlin from Guns N' Roses. John Purdue, founder of Purdue University, which is the local college in Lafayette. And before the takeover, it was Shawnee Territory. Prophet Rock is just north of town. The Battle of Tippy Canoe, all that horror. Probably the saddest thing I read about the National Park reopening was the plea to drivers to park visitors. 
to please keep an eye out for the wildlife. For tortoises, for snakes, for lizards, for bunnies, and baby ground squirrels. Because in these past months, with the national park closed, the wild animals who live there got accustomed to being able to cross the road in the place they live, their native habitat. Without worrying about getting run over by an RV America rental or a Tesla or whatever. I don't know why we let cars in there at all. Why not just put in a ski lift that goes from Park Boulevard to 29 Palms and down to Cottonwood Spring on the south entrance. Solar powered chairlift pretty much right at ground level. Press a button when you want to stop and it stops. Off you go. Please don't step on the rattlesnakes. They're a lot smaller than you are. Most of them, anyway. Leave all the cars in a beautiful subterranean 10-story parking garage by the saloon in Coyote Corner. How fantastic would that be? Let's do that. Now let's real quick open up the mailbag. The Desert Oracle mailbag. I want to thank you all for the cards and letters. Totems and trinkets. I got a nice package from Jason and Mandy Boland. And it says, Ken, we are big fans. Hope to make it out there soon. And Jason Boland and the Stragglers are real good, rootsy, kind of highway, blacktop musical act. And if they've been out here, I have not seen the listing. Hopefully they will. We're going to start opening... The bars and saloons and such things up before too long. Might get to see some honky-tonk again. I'll put a link up to... Jason Boland and the Stragglers. I like this one, Dark and Dirty Mile. I also got a package from... uh, is it fact or fiction or fact and fiction? I've lost my label here. Is the indie bookstore in Missoula, Montana. And the letter is from Chris Latre. Now I know Chris Latre on Twitter. But I had never seen his book, One Sentence Journal, Short Poems and Essays. So thank you, Chris, for sending me that. I just flipped through that thing and I found about a half dozen one sentence essays that hit the spot. 
Hello, Ken. Happy COVID-19 emancipation. If that day has also arrived for you there in the high desert, it has here in Montana, for better or worse, but I can't help but feel we are jumping the gun on this one. I suppose there are many people who think it makes us look tougher than everybody else. And if there are two things Montanans seem to care about, they are, one, looking tough, and two, counting how many generations their families have been here. It's asinine, but it's a beautiful place and I love it. Isolation suits me fine, but I confess your Back to the Bar Rooms episode with Jason P. Woodbury got me a little misty-eyed for the dives I've been missing. My reason for writing is to tell you I love what you're doing. I've been on board since the early days. My only regret is I can't listen on my device of choice, a little handheld AM FM radio. Maybe someday. Now then Chris says... I've considered ripping off your entire concept, podcast, field guide, etc., and doing a northern version. But that's me at my best as an idea guy. It's the follow-through I struggle with. Follow-through I struggle with. Well, Chris, I tell you what, it won't be ripping it off if we make a business arrangement. You know what I mean? The Inner Mountain West Oracle something or another. We'll talk about it when I get up there. Thanks for the stuff. From Amboy to Zizix and across the great Mojave wilderness, this is Desert Oracle Radio. We broadcast from Joshua Tree on Friday nights, locally from KCDZ 107.7 FM, and on a handful of West Coast public and community radio stations including Pacifica Radios, KFCF 88.1 in Fresno in the Central Valley. Catch us on the radio when you're driving up Highway 99 or the 5 at night. Or listen on Snoqualmie Valley 104.9 FM. You know where I'm talking about. Winding up that two-lane from Carnation to Duval to Snoqualmie Falls. Washington State. What kind of fantastic trees they got growing up here. Not Joshua trees, that's for sure. Or listen on the new Lookout Station FM coming out of the hills over Burbank, California. You know, that's where K-Rock 1500 AM was back in the day in Burbank. Rodney on the Rock went on the air back in August of 1976. He's still on Sirius XM on Sunday nights these days. 6 p.m. West Coast time on Channel 21, The Underground Garage. You ever see that documentary about Rodney? Well, you can get the Desert Oracle podcast through all the usual outlets, and we have a Patreon set up as well. It's how we pay the bills, especially since the pandemic. Become a patron of Desert Oracle. There's even a new secret bonus episode up there for you. Thanks to Red, Blue, Black, Silver, as always, for the soundscapes. Stay healthy out there. Thanks for listening, and good night from the Voice of the Desert.